Hello, we're back. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast. Here we go then, Series 4, can you believe? And as we push towards 3 million downloads, I just want to say a really special welcome to any new listeners who haven't been here before. Welcome to your new weekly hit of inspiration, a podcast that will give you tools for living the life you want and just genuine, honest pearls of wisdom from our high performance guests. Welcome along to the new podcast. We can't wait for you to hear the kind of things that our guests are going to be telling us over the next few weeks. We've got some amazing episodes lined up and we've had loads of people rating and reviewing the pod while we've been away. And a message from Earl Tolbert said, Jake and Damien, thank you so much. These are my go-to podcasts for insights, inspiration and new perspectives. I've just listened to the roundup of series three and I'm buzzing. Well, Earl Tolbert, for you and for everybody else, welcome to series four this is our very first guest. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear what this man has to say. He's a genuine winner and his mindset is something that I think we could all learn from. Please do rate and review the podcast. It makes a huge difference to us. You can also follow us across Instagram at High Performance. Damien and I are regularly hosting live chats on there and we've also got our own YouTube channel as well. You can find that by searching High Performance Podcast on YouTube. So there's loads of places that you can interact with this podcast. We want it to be a community that genuinely helps you but the best place to start is with an episode of the podcast. So here we go. Episode one, series four of the High Performance Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey and this is High Performance where we delve into the minds of the most successful athletes, visionaries, entrepreneurs and artists on the planet. Unlock the unspoken secrets to their success to help you follow in their footsteps. Professor Damien Hughes, the wind beneath my wings is with me. And look Damien, if it's people with a positive growth mindset, um, talking and playing football, well they're two of our favourite things. So I think, we're, I think we're going to enjoy today. I'm really excited about meeting today's guest, Jake. When I was doing some preparation for it, I was reminded of a quote from one of our own previous guests, Sir Clive Woodward, who said that winning doesn't happen in straight lines. And we know that it's true for all high performers that they get where they are and there's, most of them will experience bumps in the road. And I think it's certainly true to say that today's guest has taken the scenic route to the top. And I'm really excited to explore that with them. Okay, let's do it then, because here at the High Performance Podcast, we believe that it's time to rethink footballers. It's our national sports, right? Little old England has created the best league in the world, yet we don't celebrate it. We deride footballers, we criticise their wealth, we seize on any little mistake they make. We make very few allowances for young, gifted, highly judged teenagers competing on the world stage. Yet, from Frank Lampard to Rio Ferdinand, Tyrone Mings to Steven Gerrard, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer to Maurizio Pochettino, this podcast has so far proved there is so much more to our footballers than we allow ourselves to believe. It's time they were just unboxed. However, for that to happen, I think we need to be asking different questions and they need to allow themselves to be vulnerable. So let's welcome a Premier League captain, a Premier League winner, a man for whom football has been an ever-present in his life, he might be the son of a legend, but we want to find out how he created his own story, how he forged his path, how he fought, how he failed, but crucially, how he didn't lose faith. So get ready for a conversation, not about football, but about life with Kasper Schmeichel. Welcome to the High Performance Podcast, Kasper. Thank you very much. Thank you for the uh, the nice intro there. Um, yeah, I'm uh, really excited to be here. 
So what is high performance? To me, high performance is performing to the maximum of your capabilities to be realistic with what's achievable for someone that has your your skills and uh, to absolutely maximize every single minute of every day to achieve your goals. Right. You know what I find interesting about that answer is when you talk about being realistic. Yeah, I've heard you say somewhere else, so I know that you said you always believed you would win the Premier League, right? So is that a realistic target? Well, it was and it is, definitely. <laughs> but it's quite a mindset, isn't it? If you talk about realism and that's your realism, maybe, maybe that's the key. I don't believe it. Who is going to believe it? That's, that was always, that's always my mindset. So I think in elite sport, you're never going to be given anything. So people will always you know, tear you down and they'll always find a reason to not believe you. So you have to have that much inner belief in your own abilities. And obviously with it being a team game, you, you, you're, you're controlled a little bit by where you are and, and the circumstances you're in. But for some reason, and, and I can't tell you why, and when you delve into it, maybe it's, maybe it's got something to do with winning was, was very normal in my family. Um, so the standard was kind of set. And uh, for some reason, I always had this inner belief that, that one day I would win the Premier League. And um, I always had it in my head, uh, didn't really speak it. And um, the people around me knew that I believed it and, and that was fine for me. And it, it really came, came hitting home one day. I was doing a speech at my, uh, at my old school. This was probably about 2012, 2013 maybe, something like that. And um, I was writing this uh, along with with my uh, performance psychologist. I was writing, you know, what you know the, the kind of things I wanted to say, the messages I wanted to get across. And um, we wrote it, and it was really good. And then I showed it to my dad, or I performed it, whatever you want to call it, to my dad. And he was kind of like, "Well, it's really good, but I think you're missing something." And I was like, "Well, what what, what do you mean? You keep going around saying that you believe that." you'll win the Premier League. But have you ever dared to actually say it publicly, put your neck on the line and say that you'll do it? I was like, no, I haven't. So he said, well, this is a perfect opportunity. You're going back to your old school. If you believe it, say it. So I made a promise to them that the next time I'd come back, I'd have won the Premier League. So that the whole, I did the whole speech and I finished with a picture that I had of me when I was younger with the Premier League. And I, I said to them, next time I come back here, I will have won this. And yeah, and... Lo and behold, it, 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 it happened. But um, yeah, it was a, it, it's, it's one of those things when you then do it, you want it again more, more and more. There's, nothing, there's no feeling like it. There's nothing that can, that can replace that feeling of winning. Can I ask you then, Casper, that a lot of people might have dreams or ambitions or aspirations that they hold, but they lack the courage to ever articulate them out loud, similar to how you were until you made that speech. So why do you think that is? Well, I think it, it's, the, it's the fear of, of failing. And you, you talked before about daring to be vulnerable. This was me being vulnerable. Because if this didn't come to fruition, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably look a bit you know, like I wasn't realistic. And, you know, and, and, I, and it did get some funny looks. Of course it did. You know, we were playing it in the championship at the time. And for me now... The goal is still to win the Premier League. The goal is still to win trophies, even more so. That desire is, is so much more. It's so much more relentless now. And, and my, my motivation every day since the day we won that, that, that trophy, I didn't think it could get bigger, but it's just that feeling you want it again, you need it again in your life. And, uh, and I think we're, we're on a really, really good path at the moment. I feel like that we, we, we at Leicester at the moment are, are working towards those things and, and being part of that process is, uh, is, is fantastic and then having the you know being at a different stage in my life now a more experienced player you know to to be a part of of a young team that's coming through and, and performing really well and with, with great great potential is really exciting I think that this is an example isn't it of where self-talk can be really beneficial and I, we, we discuss self-talk and the language you use in your own head really often on this podcast but I still believe 95% of people underestimate actually how important it is. 
I wonder whether if we go back into the Leicester dressing room in April 2016, whether that inner self-belief that you always knew you were going to win the Premier League was almost quite grounding for you. And, and it, you almost felt like, of course, we're nearly winning the Premier League because I've always believed this was going to happen. And how, how beneficial all those years of telling yourself that this was what was going to happen to you actually proved when it really mattered. I think the the, the ability to convince yourself of, of something is, is so important because, like I say, if you don't believe it yourself, then... You, you, no one else is going to believe you. You can't convince anyone else. So you have to be so, so steadfast in your convictions that that I am. This is what I'm going to do, and this is the way I'm going to do it. And I was lucky that I grew up with with a father who had done these things. That's where the beneficial side has been because I was able to see firsthand the sacrifices, the training. You know the the eating, the resting, all the things you have to do, all the the stuff you see you, you don't see, all the stuff away from football, the life you have to live. It's boring sometimes. It's incredibly boring, but it's a process. And to get to where you want to be, you have to go through this process. And I saw that firsthand. And I was lucky that I had access to some of the greatest footballers this league, the Premier League has ever seen in Manchester United to to actually be there and watch training, be in the dressing room and, and, and hearing these guys and seeing them, seeing the the work ethic, you know, that relentless drive and striving for perfection, the real harsh environment that, that winning requires, that rubs off, off on you. And in my head, I was always telling oh, this is what I want. I want this, that this is the life I want to win these things. I've seen these incredible achievements from the inside and I've seen what they do, the feeling that it gives you, what it did to everybody around the club what it did to the people you you know you, you're driving home i'm sitting in the back of the car and there's thousands of people you know clamoring around my dad's car it means the world to people so that was just ingrained in me from there I, you know i wanted to be a part of that and i wanted to have that that responsibility of making these people happy like having a, a fan base really support you that much and and have it mean so much to people that when they go to work the next day the the result that they've just witnessed will depend on what their week's going to be like. Your background really intrigues me, Casper. That I know you grew up in Manchester, but you grew up in a Danish household and um, with its famously utilitarian view that you know well-being is as important as outcomes. And at the same time, you had a privileged access into behind the scenes at Manchester United during the most successful period in the club's history before going off to Portugal at a time when there was a real renaissance in Portuguese coaching. So what intrigues me is what experiences did you learn in that adolescent period of your life that have shaped you to be the person you are today? I would say take nothing for granted, be thankful, be grateful. I grew up extremely privileged and I talk a lot to to friends about this, you know, how how do you grow up privileged and still be thankful? You know, no, I've never needed anything in my life. So that's maybe been the trigger for me to to go and work for something that nothing, no one can buy me, no one can give it me. Only I can do it. And to play in a position like a goalkeeper where I am solely responsible for, for every action and every er- error that I make. That is probably where uh, one of the biggest lessons. See, I find this quite fascinating, Casper, because... We have this narrative that to reach the top in any sport or any industry, we need to have experienced real struggle and difficulties. And that you've described growing up in a household with relative luxury and comfort. Now, there's the old Joe Louis quote that says it's hard to get up and run when you're wearing silk pyjamas. And yet you did force yourself to get up and run. So what was it in you that forced you to go and experience those struggles? I grew up in a world of privilege, but I struggled massively. As great as it was sometimes to be the son of of Peter Schmeichel and and have that kind of access, as as horrible it was as well. You know, if when I went to school in Portugal, for you know, to take an example, being 12, 13 years old, if Sporting Lisbon lost, I wasn't going to school on Monday. That just wasn't happening wow. because it was that was the, the fanatical culture. It meant the world to these people, and. If they saw me, their frustrations would vent to me. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I've had a hard life. I, I've, I've had my, my, my share of struggles with things, but 
you know, I'm a strong person and, and I get through those things because I believe that what I'm doing is, is the right thing. And I believe I, I go about it with respect and with humility. And like I say, I'm thankful for, for the opportunities. I know I've had, I have friends who, who don't come from those kind of backgrounds. So I know the other side of it as well. Uh, I feel I have empathy and, and, and understanding for, for people's situations. And that, that helps me to, to understand that the situation I'm in is extremely privileged and don't ever take that for granted because it can be gone. When we talk about um, struggle and talk about failure, explain to us how you, in your mind, because we've already mentioned how important self-talk is, how did you reframe moving from Manchester City to Notts County? Because it, anyone that watches football knows that's not a forward step, right? So what were you saying to yourself at that time about turning it into the right thing and the right place to be? Well, it's kind of like when you're trying to get your Wi-Fi to work and it won't work. You keep resetting, you keep resetting, it doesn't work. In the end, you have to turn the computer off and restart. Yeah. It was the same thing for me. I had to restart my career. I had to start from the beginning. I needed to go somewhere where they believed in me and where I could just play and, and not have that safety net. If this goes wrong, this is me, you know? And I got to a point at City where I was traveling to games, but I wasn't on the bench, wasn't playing. And that's not what football's about for me. Football's about playing. It's about being part of something. I would much rather play in League Two than sit on the bench in the Premier League. So for me to go to, to Notts County was the reset button. You know, press the reset button and restart and now go somewhere and prove that you can step out of that safety net and, and, uh, and do something. And, and we did. And it was, it was such an amazing season to be part of. So crazy. And things went on in, you know, with the whole Munto finance and, and things like that. And it, it taught me one thing that you can't affect these things. You can only affect what happens on the pitch. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I came there, I got paid the first two two or three months and then I didn't get paid after that. Wow. And, um, and it, again, it was one of those situations, but I didn't, it, not that I didn't care, but it didn't mean that much because I was playing. That was all I ever wanted was to play and we were doing, you know, we we're doing all right. And then we got to the end of the season, we, we you know, when Steve Cottrell came in and we just kicked on and won the league. And, hmm. you know, that was an amazing experience. It's powerful to hear you talk like that because there lots of people listen to this podcast who are, at exactly the point that you were there where they kind of keep on restarting the computer but eventually they will need to turn it off the big problem with that and we talk about it a lot Damien is the fear and that's that's what stops people Casper I mean you must have had fear that I might never play for a Premier League football team again that would be on your mind wouldn't it no <laughs> I love the fact you just shake your head no no it, I, I, again call it ignorance call it arrogance I, I knew so the way I grew up well, you know, I studied goalkeeping. I studied it long and hard, and I could see it from, you know, close up. But you know, when when the you know the the digital revolution came and YouTube started coming around, I could see other keepers. I could see, you know, I watched the Premier League. I watched everyone else, and at that point, I felt I'd done my homework. I'd done my due diligence, and I knew that I had everything in the locker to be a Premier League keeper. All I needed was someone to believe in me every single day. I wanted to push myself to be the best. I wanted to prove I was the best. I wanted to work harder than anyone else. I wanted to be first in, last out. I wanted to make a point of it that I was the best and you cannot get around me. You know, you can't avoid me. If it's going to take a month, a year, three years, dropping down the leagues, I will not prove you wrong. I will prove myself right. In that period where you were waiting for someone to believe in you, someone to give you a chance, where did you go to internally to keep that flame alive, to keep that self-belief and confidence that must have been taking a battering while you were waiting for the opportunity? Don't get me wrong, it was, it was tough. It was really hard mentally. You talked about at the start of the, of the programme about how, the, how footballers are perceived just because they earn lots of money, blah, 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 blah. You might say that you would, you'd sacrifice missing your kids' birthdays. You you'd might say you'd sacrifice, you know, Christmas and New Year's and all these things. You might sacrifice not seeing your friends for months on end because you're training or you're doing this, that and the other. But we actually do it. So for me, I was sacrificing a lot and not getting the opportunity. So that's tough mentally. What you learn is you are constantly being watched. 
You're constantly being evaluated. Everything you do from the second you step in, the car you arrive in, the clothes you arrive in, you know, how you act when you arrive at the training ground, go into the dressing room, how you talk to people, do you treat people with respect? All these things matter to managers and sporting directors and these kind of people. So it's not just on the pitch. So you have to be perfect in every aspect. It becomes tough. It definitely does. So for any of our listeners that can identify with this, Casper, what sort of techniques did you draw on to keep you at such a level of consistency that kept you showing up day after day after day? For me, it comes down to love. I love playing football. When I went to sleep, you know, my arms used to jerk or something like that because I, in my head I had, you know, I was dreaming football all the time. And every time you get the, the knockback, you say to yourself, well, is it worth it? And you, you look at the guy who's playing in front of you and you think, yeah, it is worth it. Because I know it'll come. If I keep doing the right things, it will come. I've just got to be patient. Now I'm at a different stage in my career. Sometimes it's the, you know, the, the days when it's, you know, minus degrees or it's, you know, pissing with rain or whatever it might be. But again, you go to that place in your head, do you love doing what you're doing? Yeah. Then you go to the other place for me, which is that trophy. That's the goal. But there is a risk, isn't there, that comes with people that achieve success, right? That they just, it, it extinguishes the flame. Were you at all concerned when you won it with Leicester? And did you have to think about, right, I need to make sure that I wake up tomorrow and I still want to be as good as I was yesterday? If you're thinking of as, as a team, that is a fear because not everyone's the same. You know, for some people, that's the pinnacle. And when you reach the summit, you actually realise when you reach that, that it's amazing, but then there's this void after where you think, right, well, what's next? How many times have we heard that, Damien? <laughs> it's, but it's such a good message, though, Casper, for people that are living a life thinking, when I get there, I'll be happy. What did Matthew McConaughey say? There is no yet. There is exactly, exactly. It, even in his in his in his uh, his Oscar speech, when he when he said, you know, are you your hero yet? Of course you're not. You're never going to reach that. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be happy or satisfied. I'll always think, ah, oh, if I only had done this or only had done that. But you know, it, it's finding that happy medium of being thankful for what you have achieved. And if this is my lot in, in life, in football, then okay, that's my lot. But it's not going to stop me chasing because I know the feeling of achievement. And that feeling of achievement, when you have been part of that process, for me, it was a 15-year a battle to, to win that trophy, you know. So you have to hit the reset button again, right? Okay. So how do you handle those guys then that like the idea of being a footballer? They just don't like playing football. They don't like the graft, the hard work that takes place in the shadows. How do you handle those when they're your teammates? Listen, it is it is difficult, and I can't give you how many examples of of players who haven't fulfilled their potential. Mm. You know, where you think if you just if you had a bit more desire about you, the things you could achieve. But you have to respect that not everyone's the same. But if they're colleagues of yours that do play their part in helping you reach the top and get there. How do you handle those guys? Well, that's where the, the role of the, the practical psychologist comes in. You know, as a, as a goalkeeper, you are, you are individual in a team sport. So you have to learn how to talk to each individual player. And you, the, the, the important thing is to get to know each player, what motivates them, what drives them. And then you've got to tap into that. This guy needs to be spoken to this way, whereas this guy might need you know, an arm around his shoulder, this guy needs a, a kick up the arse sometimes or something like that. So you have to try and find whatever motivates them to get them to perform for all of you. Give us some clues then, Casper. How do you go about developing relationships with teammates where you can get to that level of understanding their drivers, their motivations and their different communication styles? It's a strange process in the sense that I've always found, and I know this isn't probably what you'd expect to hear, but things like drinking together, like actually sitting down, having a drink together after a game, having a beer and talking. That is how you get to know people when they loosen off a little bit. You know, because we are, we are in a high pressure environment every day where you have to perform, you have to be at your best. So every now and then when you have that, that break and you can actually just sit yourselves down, 
have a drink and have a chat and actually get to learn to, to know these people that you spend every single day with, but you might actually not know that much about them. And I've always found that the 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 the, the, the nights, the evenings, the dinners where you, you you actually sit and just talk is is the, they're the most beneficial to the team. Everyone behaves in in a certain way because of their circumstance. You know, you don't know what the guy next to you is going through. If you're on at someone all the time to be performing, 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 but they've got something big going on outside that's distracting them, you're not going to get a positive response from that. You know, and you, I need him to perform because I can't go and score the goal. I, I'm a goalkeeper. I can only do what comes to me. I can't go looking for work. That's when mistakes happen. I can't go and tackle someone or run harder if, if the game's not going my way. So if I'm shouting at someone and getting on someone and they're pressured from all sides, at some point they're going to blow up and it's not going to be conducive to, to success for, for, for myself, for the team. So I think it's really important to get to know people and, and to, to understand the drivers within them. When you look back on that remarkable Premier League win at Leicester, how much was the emotional connection between the players one of the most important elements? I think the whole Leicester case is a unique case because I've been at many clubs and I've never seen or, or experienced the club that runs the way Leicester does. It's the way they treat people. You're treated as a person and you feel important. And that came right from the very top with Kunvichai. The way he treated everyone. You could see the outpouring of grief when he died for a man that these people didn't know. What he's done for the club, the way he he just showed respect to every single person. It didn't matter what position in the club you had. You were just as important. You were part of the machine. And to make the machine work, everyone has to do their part. That's what it's like in Leicester. You know, I've I've never been in clubs where you've had a conversation with the CEO or the, or the or the financial director or whatever it just doesn't really happen or the owner of the club but does that win games though it does because i think it's really important that you you, you know everybody within your organization and and you have a, a, a humility and respect and understanding that everybody does a, a job for a reason in a football club that reason is to win games you know they're not doing it to you if if the border coming like in in the corona pandemic you know clubs were, were, were you know were having to go down in wage it's not them trying to be horrible or be idiots and try and, and this that or the other it's because it's a necessity the line of communication the openness and the honesty between the you know every level of the club is what makes it so successful and it, it means that you can respect everyone's point of view that's where Leicester's been been different to every other club I've been at. I was just going to say, Damien, do you know what I really like about that answer from Casper, right, is that everything he's described there about a culture to win a Premier League trophy, there's no magic, there's no secrets, there's nothing there that no one listening to this running their own business or working in a business can't replicate. It's literally connecting with other people, talking to each other, sharing your emotions, sharing your successes and failures, and the, a common shared attack towards one aim and that is that's so important for people to hear i think i think it's incredibly powerful but i can hear the imagined cries of so many people listening to this thinking well why is it so rare then so you describe it as being unusual casper and given your experience at other clubs why would you describe this experience as being so rare i don't understand why it's so hard to be a human for so many people Many clubs and, and clubs particularly at the moment, you know, the, the, the management position is a revolving door, you know, so people don't actually take the time because they don't have the time. You lose two, three games, you're out. You don't actually have time to bond with people in that sense. Leicester is, is different in the sense we have players who have been there, myself, nearly 10 years. You know, you've still got Wes, you've got Fuxi, you've got, you know, Vaz, Mark Albright. There's so many players who've been there. And there's a reason they stay, because they feel valued. They feel like that they're part of something. Mark Albrighton's the perfect example. Every manager that's come into Leicester has dropped Mark Albrighton straight away. And every single time, he's worked his way back. He's someone you need to speak to on this podcast. Because you talk about performance, you talk about getting knocked back. That guy just keeps getting back up. He kind of epitomises what it's about. You can translate it to every profession because if you want to achieve something, you need people working to their best capabilities. So as a CEO or a leader, 
that was what Kunrichai did. He made sure everyone felt good. That that means so much to people because I think particularly in England, there's there's a there's a society where you know there's lots of difference between rich and poor. You know, and Kunrichai had every reason to be an idiot. He could do whatever he wanted if you want. Like, no, who's gonna who's gonna say anything against him? The guy's a billionaire. But he chose not to. He chose to be a nice guy. He chose to be a good person, you know? And and I think that's really difficult when you have that amount of wealth. And I think people get surprised. So, Casper, explain to us then, when somebody comes to join your dressing room at Leicester and doesn't quite get this, you know, maybe comes in with full of airs and graces or with a little bit of swagger, how do you induct them to get them to understand that that doesn't carry much weight or currency within your world? Oh, they'll understand it. They'll, 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 they'll get to understand it. But again, it comes from the top. You, you feel valued. You feel welcome. You're coming into a squad that a lot of established players who know what the club's about and they'll know who you are and they'll have respect for that. But again, a team has to be made. You can't just have 11 workhorses on the pitch. You have to have the 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 flamboyant, the uh, you know the, the the prima donna or the uh, you know the, the the person in the you know James Madison pink boots, and you have to have these characters to form a good team. You know, in Leicester, the, the recruitment's been you, you've had your you started with Anthony Knockhart, you had then Riyad Mahrez came in. You know, these kind of players, you'd say, don't fit the mold of a Leicester player, but you have to have that difference as well. Yeah. Take for example Riyad. Riyad was able to do what he did at Leicester because of someone like Danny Simpson. Because he knew that Danny Simpson, he wasn't the overlapper, he wasn't the one who was going to come and create with him. But he knew he could just go because Simo would sit there and cover him. So if he lost the ball, Simo was there. You know, so that gave Riyad the, the freedom and, and the, you know, the, the ability just to express himself and, and do his thing. And his thing, he saw things differently. You know, he, he sees things passes that I don't see or any or other people don't see and that's what sets Jamie Vardy up for goals that's what creates confusion because he knows the guy behind him he's uh he's got his back if, if that's the case and like I say the makeup of a team is is, is very very uh, very important because you have to have different personalities you have to have the you know the hard hitting the winners the real the drivers mm. you've got to have people who can calm situations down you have you've got to have loads of different so what's your role then um I try to lead by example, you know, I try to, to do the right things as, as much as I can. You know, uh, I, I try to always be the hardest worker in the room. I think it's important to show, you know, at the age that I'm, I'm at that, that it still means the world to me. They have to see that I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to work just as hard, harder than anybody else to get there. My role is, is, is to communicate and to play as well as I can, be steady. The best games I ever have are the ones you don't notice me in. Because then I've done my job perfectly with my defence. You know, that's where we have been in perfect tandem and we have, uh, we've stopped chances from occurring. For me, it's never been about making great saves and being eye-catching, this, that, and the other. It's been about just finding consistency so that the team know that they can depend on me. The big problem with, with goalkeeping from... Uh my perspective, standing on the sidelines alongside normally strikers, Casper, as you know, talking about goalkeepers, yes. is that the midfielders or the strikers can miscontrol the ball four or five times a game, misplace a pass, no problem. You do it once and it leads to a goal. You are operating at the absolute edge of failure. And we love people to get to that point because it's only when you're right on the edge of failure that you're really finding out what your limits are. How do you become comfortable with millions of people watching every single game you play with failure, the fact that you deal in a world where millimetres is what matters. You've, you've actually said the opening line of, uh, of, of when I do go out and, and, and do speeches to people, that is, I work in millimetres. That's my first line. The slightest millimetre is the difference between success and failure in, in my profession. And as a goalkeeper, you cannot make mistakes. You have to be perfect. Any mistake will cost your team. To accept and love and revel in that responsibility, you have to be crazy because, like you say, you are operating on the edge of failure every single time. So you have to love that you are the guy who has to be perfect every time. Do you enjoy that? I, I, think, I don't think you can be a keeper if you don't enjoy that. You have to accept failure as part of the game. 
I, I will dissect every single goal that goes in and think I should have saved that. Everything doesn't matter how it goes, whether it's near post as your commentators love to uh, love to talk about, which is, which is that, rubbish. Yeah. But any okay. goal that goes in, I will always look at it and think I should have done that. I could have done that. Why didn't I do that? This, you know, I will always find a reason why I didn't save it and say I should have done something else. I remember um, a game against Bournemouth not long ago when you came out in the press afterwards, didn't you? Did you not accept? You sort of accepted responsibility for for that defeat for Leicester. How quickly on the pitch are you able to recover from being annoyed with yourself? What can I do about it? I can't do anything about it now. So the worst thing I can do now is to back it up with another mistake. It's about recomposing yourself, resetting again. Okay, that's happened. We start again. Because as a keeper, when you come looking for work, that's when trouble happens. Mistakes will happen. But you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I've done everything. All right, I made a mistake. That happens. Did you play it over in your mind mid-game? No. When the ball's at the end of the picture, you're thinking, why, really? It's gone. No, like, when it happens, you think, you know, I can't say the words I was thinking, but it's gone. The only thing I can affect is the next bit. And again, like I say, I can't do it all myself. That's probably the most difficult part of goalkeeping. You know, we we, we take our game against against Crystal Palace the other week. Um, The whole game, my entire game plan, everything I wanted to do in that game came off perfectly. And ball comes to the back post, Zaha kicks it, it takes a deflection off James Justin and goes under my arm. And I know for a fact that the cameras won't pick up on the deflection and the people in the studio won't pick up on the deflection. But I know there's nothing I can do about that. I cannot do anything about that. I, the ball was coming straight to my chest and I was going to catch it. But the deflection took it under my arm and it looked strange. And I know in my head straight away that that's going to be my fault in people's perception. But I know it's not my fault. I know I could have done nothing about that because of the deflection. So that rids me of, of any blame in my head, which means I move on straight away. I couldn't have done anything different. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I mean, there's a real paradox here that really intrigues me, Casper, that you are, it seems, by nature, a bit of a risk taker. So the example that you share about leaving Manchester City and dropping down divisions to play for Knox County because you were so desperate to play is the actions of somebody that's prepared to gamble and take a risk. And yet you play in a position that is by its very nature defensive. You almost play not to lose, that taking risks is something that can harm harm the team. So how do you go about squaring that circle against your natural nature, against the requirements of your job? It comes down to the type of goalkeeper you want to be. And the game has changed so much from when I made my debut for Darlington to where we are now. As a keeper, now you're being asked to play out from the back. So when you do that, naturally, more risk is is taken. And when, when we had fans, you know, you, you could feel the crowd when you when I've got the ball and they just wanted to kick it along. 
they'll judge someone, they'll judge a goalkeeper in distribution if the ball goes, if they hit over hit at one shot. But a midfielder can do that loads of times. They can make mis- passing mistakes all the time. We can't make passing mistakes. We have to be perfect every single time because if we're not, we lose. Or we, well, we, we potentially, there's a big, big risk that we lose the game. So for me, we, you know, I train a lot with the outfielders to make sure that I can do these things, but also that they know I can do them. So they trust me. They know they can bounce the ball back to me and I can control it. You know, they know that if they give me a difficult ball to my left foot or to my right foot, I can still do something constructive with it. And all of this is going on in the, the sort of most public arena you can imagine, not just the fans in the stadium. Um, we can't wait till that is happening again, but everyone at home and your teammates and former teammates and pundits and other managers and your opponents who are watching you as well. So how do you go about removing all the ego from this so that it doesn't become about you and then it doesn't become internalised in those big moments where you need to make a save? You know, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it, not to kind of let pride be the centre of everything that you do, Casper? I think ego is a really interesting aspect because I have a massive ego, but I'm also a massive team player. Um, so how do the two work together? Well, they work together in the sense that the, the the pride I have in not conceding is so big and it, it hurts me. If it's in training, it, oh, it kills me every time a goal goes in. It annoys the hell out of me. But you have to sometimes remove the pride, remove the ego, because if you are too hung up, it's like burning a trophy. So if you're too hung up on, on what you've done, what you've achieved, who you are, then you're not focused on now. I talk a lot about removing the ego from situations and you can, you know, you could probably even go back, you can take this to a different analogy of, of, of maybe in, in, in the business world of, of Blockbuster back in the day when they had the opportunity to buy Netflix, maybe the ego is too big to, you know, we're too big for this. That won't be a challenge and you see what happens and it's the same here. You have to remove that ego and say, well, I am also just a very small cog in the big machine. At the end of the day, I don't really care if I've played bad or great as long as we win I, I, I always get asked this thing about clean sheets like clean sheets mean nothing to me as long as we win I don't care but that's interesting though for someone who admits they have a bit of an ego and and I by the way can I just say I don't think that saying I've got an ego should be seen as a negative thing I mean we, we've already discussed you've admitted you've got an ego you've admitted you went to a league two football club as a young guy and still believed you'd win the Premier League like What's the point thinking anything else, Casper? And I wish people would understand this. What's the point thinking bad stuff negatively about yourself? I can't see a benefit, can you? I can't. I, I talk a lot to the younger keepers about when they make mistakes. If it, you know, I used to be real aggressive to myself making mistakes. And my coaches, and all, they're like, stop doing that. You don't, you don't need to show that you've made a mistake because I don't know if you've made a mistake. So that's why I keep telling these youngsters, you know, if they're doing something and they're trying to catch it and they haven't quite caught it, style it out. Make it look as if that's exactly what I was trying to do. I'm in control here. Don't let me know that you're annoyed with yourself because that just gives people ammo to come for you. Say, oh yeah, that was that was pretty bad. People are going to come for you anyway. Just don't give them any more ammunition. And control the controllable. Don't go on social media. Don't read about yourself because... What are you going to gain by that, by someone else's opinion of you? Mm. Because it's so easy to have a negative opinion of someone and tweet it or write it anonymously. Does it impact you, social media, other people's opinions? Not at all. I don't read it. What if you did? What would I win from that? What, like, that's the question. What can I gain from doing that? Because you might read a hundred really nice comments, but you'll look at the one bad comment and that'll be the one you obsess over. Have your people, so I have my people, I have my board. I will go to my trusted people Mm. when it comes to football, when it comes to personal life, when it comes to business, when it comes to anything. I'll have the people that I trust, their opinions. So goalkeeping, I'll go to former coaches that I, I still have a good relationship with. I'll go with certain teammates, certain former teammates, certain colleagues and discuss it with them. And I value their opinions. And that's the input I'll take. And it's so important. I don't want yes men. One example, when I was when I was younger, I used to take the ball. I didn't notice I was doing it at all for a goal kick. I used to take it, throw it up behind me and catch it like that. And one of my old coaches said, what are you doing with that? You look an idiot doing that. You look cocky. You, you have to realise that, like you said, Jay, you're being 
evaluated constantly. Everything you're doing is being evaluated. I can control what I take into my mind. I can't control what people are going to write about me in papers and social medias and all that. And again, I've done my homework. I know if I've had a bad game or if if I've had a great game. I don't need that validation. So what's your selection criteria for becoming a member of the board then, Casper? Um, Honesty is the main one. You've got to be honest. Even if it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable conversation, I want you to say it. The whole aim, the whole goal of it is is to improve. Here's the question then, before we get onto our quick five questions to finish off. Um, I think if I asked this question to you when you were 17, your answer would be to win the Premier League. So let me ask it to you now. What are you now, 30, 31? (laughs) 34. (laughs) years left years left Casper let me ask it to you now then as a 34 year old not as a teenager for you now what is a good life lived wow that's deep basically seeing my family happy that's the that's the only thing that matters to me football is is a is a great massive part of my life but there's nothing that comes close to to what it means to have your family around you um I've I have been away from my family for for large large periods I've missed large periods of my kids lives and football gives you a lot it also takes a lot so the day I retire I will really look forward to the everyday of being with my children and being with my family and actually being a dad in the sense of being able to be there when you're when your kids are, are hurt you're not at a hotel or you're not been away for 12 days with the national team if they need your help if they need you for for homeschooling homework whatever it may be uh, to be able to be there for them uh, support them and see them happy see them thriving that 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 would be a life well lived for me so to follow on from that then Casper your obvious love and passion for playing football has shone through in so many of the answers that you've given us so I'm interested in how do you intend to go and find the next thing to fall in love with beyond your family for when you can't continue to play football? I don't fear the day I can't play anymore. I, I look forward to it in a positive way. There's, it's as if there's a whole new world opening up for me. There's possibilities every single direction. Um, football will always be there in some capacity, whatever capacity that may be. It's life's a buffet. All of a sudden, you choose your direction and try it. I want to try things. I want to travel. I want to. I want to go back to all these places I've played in and actually see them, not just see the airport and the hotel and the stadium. I've actually re- always really made a point of everywhere I've gone with the national team. I'm, I'm lucky. I've got teammates and, and, and a particular goalkeeper coach for Denmark who really loves to go for walks. So, so many times, night night before games, we'll go for a long, long walk in the city. You know, hoods up, hats on and all that, so no one can see who we are. But we'll go for a long, long walk and actually just see the cities that we're in. I'd love to go back to so many of these places and, and experience them again. I'd love to travel, I'd love to take my children, show them the world, show them all these places that I've been and, and experience them with them. It's almost, it's actually really, really exciting. Probably if you'd asked me that question when I was 17, I'd have feared that day. For me, in my head, there's a long, long time before that will happen and my, my kids will be will be in their late teens by the time that'll happen. But that's the, the that's the gift and the, the price of football at the same time. And can I ask you one last question? We've not really ha- found anywhere to squeeze it into this, but one of the big themes that we picked up on the podcast series, Casper, is the futility of comparisons, you know, comparing you, your insides to other people's outsides. And yet you've been born into a family where comparisons are going to be inevitable. And you've chosen to go into an industry where those comparisons get even harder. What advice would you have for anyone listening to this about coping with comparisons and what you've learned from it? I think going into it, I was probably very naive. I didn't think the comparison was going to be that big. Yeah, it was. And uh, I was already in it that deep. I couldn't really change it. But I'm being compared with one of the best goalkeepers ever. So... I don't know. It's one of those standards is what you set yourselves and standards in my family are different to maybe other families. So I've won one Premier League. We've won five. We've won six in my family now. You know, that's the standards. So for me, getting a professional career wasn't enough. My dad 
won the Premier League. He won the Champions League as captain. You know, he played, he has the record appearances for his country. That's the standard. So that gives me something to strive for. You know, that gives me motivation that I've got to do at least something that, that's similar. I think winning the league with Leicester is, is, is a unique experience, but, you know, I'm still four short, you know, so that, that gives you something to chase. It's great. But, but it's, it's something that lifts you up and powers you on. It's not something that um, overwhelms you. It doesn't really bother me anymore. It, it, it's actually, it, it uplifts me because of who my dad was or is, what was as a player. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the mindless, endless questioning of the same thing. You know, so you, you, you can't really have a press conference, particularly like when you go international football. You know, journalists who don't normally have access to you have access to you, so they want to ask you the same thing over and over and over again. And still, at the age of 34, people are still asking me about these things. You know, you know I'm a grown man with, with, with kids and, and a life, and, and people, I, I, had, I heard Martin Keown, it was one of my friends sent a, like a video clip of Martin Keown calling me young Casper Schmeier. People still see me as a child. You thought I was 30. I'm 34, but I'm seen as someone's son. I can't change that. That's what I've had to accept. You can win the league. You can be 34, have kids, all this. You're still someone's son. I can't change that. So why fight it? The only thing I can be is me. And that's good enough for me. If people want to compare, let them compare. I can't do anything about that. What a brilliant and strong way to, to finish the interview. Let's um, jump onto our quick fire questions now, Casper. Um, as you know, because you listen to the pod, we always ask these to every guest. So three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you have to buy into. Passion, love, striving for excellence. What advice would you give to a teenage Casper just starting out? Strap yourself in, get ready for a ride. It's, um, it's going to be some ride. Um, and it's not over, so I don't know if it's going to be worth it, but... I'm sure it is. Um, how important is legacy to you? It's it's important. I think if I if I want to leave a legacy, I want to leave a legacy of, of of being a good person, being the person who who, despite having an ego, also is selfless and puts the team uh, and others above himself. Being hard worker is something that I pride myself on, and and always giving my best, striving for excellence, getting. Absolutely every ounce of of uh, of potential out of me, you know, uh, and not wasting a day, not wasting a single day is important. I actually have a, a my my goalkeeper coach who I mentioned before is a family friend. He was my father's understudy for the Danish national team, and uh, he uh, he's been my goalkeeper coach for Denmark all through my Denmark career. Uh, he always used to say something uh, to me which not, never really hit home until a certain day where he always used to say there's a number on everything you will breathe a certain amount of times on this earth you will sleep a certain amount you'll play a certain amount of games everything has a number so enjoy it that was basically what he's saying and and three years ago he was diagnosed with cancer and that really hit home for me three years ago when, when he told me that all those things he was saying you only have a certain amount so enjoy it and it's the same with football for me. Like uh, every single day I'm on the pitch, enjoy it. It could be my last. So finally, then, Casper, what's your one golden rule for living a high performance life? Give your best, always, no matter what it is, whether it's uh, cooking a meal for your family, make it the best meal you can make it, whether it's playing in a, in a football game in the Premier League, do, do your absolute best. That's the only thing I always say to my kids. I don't care how well you do at school. I don't care. As long as you are giving everything, you're doing your best, then I can never, ever ask for any more. And as a, as a podcast listener, Casper, we're collating little uh, clips of people talking about why these sorts of conversations about mindset and drive and approach are so important. Would you mind just sharing with us why you listen to the pod, why you think this kind of a conversation is an important one for people to have? Well, I'm... I'm the type of guy I, I love to be inspired and the people on your podcast are inspiring people and that comes from all walks of life so for me to have like Matthew McConaughey said it, you have someone to chase 
you know, have someone to, to look up to, someone to mirror yourself in. I've had that all the way through my life, all the way through my career. I've had someone, someone to mirror myself, someone to, to, to teach me something. And, you know, you can, you're never the finished article. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be a hero. But strive and be inspired by the people. And uh, I loved the, the Stephen Gerrard one, but he talked about being obsessed I just loved that and I really took that, that. That's exactly what I felt. I just didn't know how to articulate it. That's exactly what I was. I was obsessed with being the best. I still am obsessed with being the best I can be. So let yourself be inspired by others, which is which is what the, the people that you've had on uh, have done for me. Brilliant. Um, listen, if we're inspiring someone who's captaining a Premier League side who are pushing for the title, I think there's something, there's something good about this podcast. Um, and listen, mate, to sit here and speak to you like this for the last hour and a bit is is a real pleasure for us. And what stands out for me is the fact that you've life has been broken down into the challenge of being born as the son of Peter Schmeichel, the failure of having to drop away from Man City and go down to the bottom, having to win the Premier League and work out how you don't let that derail you. You know, you've clearly thought every single stage about the bigger picture, um, yet amongst all of that big picture stuff, still been able to focus on yourself to deliver in those games. And the combination of the two is an example of unbelievable emotional intelligence. And um, it's a pleasure for you to not just sit here and share it with us, but it makes me feel positive about the game of football. And this is why I don't feel we give footballers enough credit or enough love because look what you are. And we just break you down as people that kick a ball about. And I hope that that changes. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, keep going. I'm I'm looking forward to your next ones. Damien, Jake, oh, I enjoyed that so much. Uh, it, for Casper to come on here and be so open and honest is one thing, but what really hits home for me is that he clearly has thought about all of this stuff over the years, hasn't he? And he and now at the age of 34, he kind of feels in a place to share it, possibly for the first time. Yeah, I thought it was a real privilege. I thought it was just a brilliant example of that great quote that there's lots of people that would like to be a footballer. They just don't want to make the sacrifices of playing football. But I thought with him, I, I loved his obvious passion and I loved his desire to work in the shadows and learn his craft before he goes out there and showcases it to the world. I thought it was a real privilege to speak with him. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's football. It could be in any industry. I think anybody with that obvious desire and passion to want to go master a craft is going to be successful at whatever they do. But I wonder what he struggles with, because we spoke about the fact that he, you know, he's great around the dressing room and he ignores the pressure of social media and he seems at ease with the fact that his dad achieved so much and he's able to put failure behind him himself really quickly and move on. What's difficult for him, you know? Yeah, I think that the idea of the position that he plays in was fascinating. You know, he plays in a position of playing not to lose. You know, the idea that being a goalkeeper is defensive by its very nature and yet Casper seems to be a risk taker or a gambler and I think having to learn to curtail those instincts and make sure that what he does fits into the bigger picture of his team I think that was why he constantly referenced the idea of having a bigger picture of realizing that sometimes you've got to take a step back to be able to take two steps forward and I think that's the same in terms of his performance on the field, as much as it is for life. You have to take risks to be successful. And I think it's a really good reminder for any of our listeners that watch him performing for Leicester, having listened to this podcast, OK? If they see him either lifting a trophy in the next little while or playing a brilliant game or leaving Leicester in a lovely car and they find themselves just almost by chance going, Casper Schmeichel's lucky, remind yourself about the pressure of your dad and the failure and having to go to Notts County and, and go again or conceding a poor goal and learning the tricks to put that behind you or having to individually learn about each member of your squad to lift them all up. There's no luck here. Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to that challenge we laid out to him about how do you get up and run when you're wearing silk pyjamas? In other words, when you've grown up with a life of privilege and luxury... How do you force yourself to get out there and struggle and experience difficulties? And I think the answer to that goes back to the obvious passion that Casper had. I think when you've got a passion, 
you're happy to go and dive into the minutiae where you wouldn't go and learn your craft and invest plenty of hard work to understand how to get better at what you're doing. And I think it's an important point that it doesn't matter where you come from. I think the important element is whether you have that passion to want to go and work hard to get better at what you're doing. And that's been a hallmark of all the high performers that we've been lucky enough to speak to, Jake. And yet again, what a great conversation with a footballer. And like we said at the very beginning of the podcast, we need to start having these kinds of conversations with these kinds of people more often to humanise them. Yeah, I think it's really important to have our perceptions challenged. You know, I think we often live in a world of caricatures, of stereotypes, of sort of two-dimensional people, you know, spoiled footballers or noble rugby players, you know, that kind of shallow analysis. And I think it's important to recognise that anybody that reaches the levels of high performance that we're discussing is not there by accident. They've not found themselves there by chance. They've all had to go out and dedicate themselves, sacrifice so many things and commit themselves to going out there and reaching their ambitions. And I just feel really privileged that we have the chance to listen to some of these stories and I find them hugely inspiring and I hope that people find them hugely illuminating themselves. What a way to start Series 4, hey? Ah, it's fantastic. Wonderful. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Jake. I've loved it as always. Well, Damien, there you go. The first episode of the new series. We're back. I know. It's fantastic to be back as well, isn't it, Jake? I'm really excited for this new series. And you know what's been nice is that now that we've we've hit, sort of hit the fourth series, when we disappear, we don't really disappear, do we? We're both getting messages every single day from people who are finding this podcast for the very first time. Yeah, and it's people going back into the archives and listening to interviews from the first series and getting so much value out of them. I think that was a big intent of both of ours, Jake, that we wanted this to be timeless. We don't want it to be something that people listen to and then discard. We want it where people can go back and discover some of the treasures that previous guests have left for them to find. And look, the point of this podcast, guys, is that we want it to be a community. And one of the best ways to do that is for you to rate and review the pod. We see all the reviews you leave. Andrew says he's listened to a few of the episodes. They've been fantastic in helping with his self-doubt. Georgie is um, a biology teacher and a hockey player and has picked up so many simple but important messages from the podcast. Um, A retired PE teacher got in touch to say they've been interested in the mental approach of top athletes. And this podcast is really informative. But I want to read out a message from Jack Staffs saying, uh, Jake and Damien, I've loved smashing through these podcasts on my morning walks along the river. A really positive way to start the day and to provide focus for the day ahead. However, one interesting point, could you dive into this? Jake, you've mentioned previously that happiness is something we're after. Can you explore why it's not a destination, but it's an emotional state and how we can achieve happiness and joy in the process of getting to our goal. Once again, I love the pod. What's your instant reaction to that, Damien? Well, first of all, it's incredibly kind feedback, but I think the question is a really important one. I think that we've regularly used the phrase, Jake, that we're in it for the outcome, not the income, uh, in terms of what we're trying to achieve of helping people to start asking these questions. But equally, that phrase of getting fixated on the outcome is the bit that, is a mistake if that's where we focused on. What everybody has told us from Johnny Wilkinson to Tyrone Mings to Kelly Holmes, if you're only focused on winning that gold medal, becoming a Premier League footballer, making millions in business, that feeling is fleeting. You have to enjoy the journey, the process of getting there. If you don't have the passion to enjoy the, uh, the hard work, the discipline, the process of learning your craft, it's not worthwhile, the outcome is never worth it when you get to that destination. And I think that's part of the problem, right, Damien, is that in our heads we build up how great the, the moment of arrival is going to be. And, and, you know, like Matthew McConaughey, didn't he, told us there is no yet on a previous episode of this podcast. And I remember buying my first ever car, right? It was about £8,500. I was working on Children's BBC at the time. It was a, a British Racing Green MGF. And all the things I've done and all the things I've bought in the 20 years from buying that car to now... Nothing's given me a thrill like buying my first car. And I think we have to remember that it is not about that moment. There isn't that, wow, I've done it moment. It is, 
It is the enjoyment of the journey. You're totally right. Yeah, and I think that example of you buying the car, it's the anticipation of earning your own money, being able to research where you were going to buy it from, the thrill of feeling that you'd done it on your own merit. That's where the process is. That's where the journey is to be able to achieve that outcome. Great. Well, look, Damon, we're back. It feels good, doesn't it? And we've got, I mean, we've got some amazing guests to land up, haven't we, over the next few weeks? I'm really, really excited to reveal uh, some of them. You know, some of them we met um, towards the end of last year. And the amount of uh, insights, the generosity of sharing that they gave us and just the trust that they placed in us to be able to tell their story in a discreet and sensitive manner just feels like like a real honour. And I'm really excited that we get to reveal it over the next couple of months. Tell you what we could do for the new series. How about at this point, Damien, we play a small snippet of a guest that's going to be on the pod next week, just so it whets people's appetite. What do you think? That's a brilliant idea, yeah. All right, then. Um, This is uh, Josh Warrington, next week's guest on the High Performance Podcast. Here's a quick clip of the kind of thing you're going to hear. You know, when you walk into the ring, you can't complain about, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd done that. That's it, now it's happening. You're going to get found out there. I'll run testing fights, so it would be a case of... If I don't do anything about it, I ain't got no one else to rely on it. My dad can say whatever he wants in the corner. He can say pick it up. If I ain't got the engine to do so, who's that down to? Well, there you go. Look, if that isn't enough to get you subscribing and listening and coming back for more, I don't know what is. Damien, thank you so much, mate. Pleasure, Jake. I love it as always. Thank you for having me. Me too. Uh, A big shout out as always to you for making this happen. You're the reason why we're sitting here and almost 3 million people have been helped and impacted by the High Performance Podcast. Please, please, please rate, review, check us out on Instagram, find us on YouTube, but become part of the conversation around the High Performance Podcast. And before we go, I just want to let you know that things will be a little bit different from the High Performance Podcast this series. Not only will there be the episodes dropping every single Monday, we're also going to give you bonus episodes on a Wednesday as well. So many people have been saying, can I have more than one a week? So why not? We'll just give you an episode on a Wednesday as well. And then on a Friday, if you've had a hard week, if you've got a big weekend coming up, if you're feeling a bit challenged, we've got some little short episodes, just little short five minute hits of inspiration to lift you up every Friday as well. So you need to check back in with the podcast three times a week now. Basically, Damien, what we're saying is there's no escaping us. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the idea that um, those hits of inspiration, it's just about lifting people up. You know, we're in lockdown time. Some people are struggling with it. So if we can give them a little injection of positivity uh, on a more frequent basis, uh, hopefully it helps. So there you go, the High Performance Podcast coming every Monday, a bonus episode on a Wednesday and a short episode on a Friday as well. Don't forget to find us on YouTube, just search for High Performance Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram as well, at High Performance. Please rate, please review, but please come back for more. We are just here to make you feel better and to live a great high performance life. Have a wonderful day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.